You are listening to a presentation of The Rising, a community of faith, a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Hey, about, um, about two weeks ago, my wife and I went on vacation for our nine-year anniversary. We went to Playa del Carmen, which is right near Cancun, and it was awesome. We went, yeah, that's a good, thanks for celebrating my vacation. Um, but we went to Playa del Carmen. We took, uh, or we didn't take them, but they came with us. They paid their own way. Uh, but her sister and her husband, my friend Dave, who just did the baptisms, went with us. And it was an amazing time. I, I just want to let you know, you should go. I highly recommend it. You should go on vacation all the time. Not all the time, but once a year. But, but we went, it, it was a great time. But the last two days of our vacation, it rained. And when I say that it rained, I mean it, it tropical rainforest rained, right? Like it didn't rain like it does here where it um, just, just kind of rains a little bit and stops or it, it sprinkles. But it tropical rainforest rained, which meant we were stuck in our room for, for two days. And then on the last day... Uh, we got on the airplane, and I just thought, we're not leaving, because there was a deluge outside of our plane. Like, the rain was pouring, and the wind was rocking the, the plane back and forth. I mean, we were parked. We weren't going anywhere, but the plane was rocking, and I just said, man, we're going to have to spend a night in a Mexican airport, and this is not going to be good. We're not leaving, and the captain came on the intercom. He said, uh, we're, uh, our flight is delayed, and I thought, well, yeah, because there's a monsoon outside. He said, our flight is delayed. We're going to have to just sit tight and see what happens. And, and I had heard on the news that um, there was one flight that got delayed uh, sometime, whatever, and the people were on the airplane for like seven hours. And I just thought, no, we need to get up off of this plane. I'll go sleep on a Mexican airport floor. I'm not staying on here for seven hours. But 50 minutes went by, so our flight was delayed for 50 minutes. And there was a, a let up in the weather. And when I say that the weather let up, I mean that Instead of it pouring, it just poured a little less. And instead of the wind violently shaking the plane, it just only mildly shook the plane. So there was a small let up in the weather. And the captain came over the intercom and he said, well, uh, there seems to be a break in the weather and so we're gonna give this a shot. Go ahead and put your uh, seatbelts on, flight attendants take your seat, prepare for takeoff. <laughs> and I just thought, we're gonna die. Like, no, this is not gonna work. And, and I just imagine, like, as we're going down the runway, a gust of wind is going to take the plane, and we're going to do a barrel roll into the ditch. I just knew it was going to happen. So the, the engines fire up, and we go down the runway. And those first three minutes of takeoff, until we got above the clouds, were the scariest minutes of my life. I just knew, okay, we're dying. But we made it. We got up above the clouds, and it was, it was smooth flying then. We, we eventually got to our, our connecting city, which was Charlotte. But again, we had a 50-minute delay. Now, if we didn't have the delay, we'd have about 50 minutes between um, when we landed and be able to catch our connecting flight. We were going to get something to eat. It was late, but we didn't have that time now. And so we got into Charlotte, and we had to go through customs. We had to wait for our bags to get off the airplane. We had to get our bags, and then we had to go back through security because the security that we did in Mexico wasn't good enough. And so we had to go through security again. And by the time we had finished this, we had like a minute and 37 seconds before our gate was going to close. And so we got all our bags, we went through security, and we started running through the airport to get to our gate. We were those people, right? Like we were at gate D, and we had to get to gate B. We had a minute and 37 seconds. So we took off. We were sprinting. 
And sometime between D and B, maybe around gate C, I thought to myself, why are we doing this? Like, I'm hungry. I, I really want to stop and get a slice of pizza. I mean, we hadn't eaten all day, and, and, and we were going to get in at midnight. I said, well, well, let's just stop. Let's take our time. Sure, we'll miss a flight, but hey, we'll get on another one. And, and, and I was getting tired of running. I didn't want to be in a rush. And I just thought, let's just stop. But, but we couldn't stop because we were at an airport not to get pizza. We were at an airport to get on a plane. And so we finally got to our gate. We were the last ones there. They let us on. Everything was good. We got into Norfolk. It was, it was awesome. But this event at an airport just a couple weeks ago made me think about another experience that I had in an airport a year ago. And this experience was both hilarious and heartbreaking. Uh, what I mean is my wife and I, we were going to Cancun uh, last year for our eight-year anniversary. By the way, you should go on vacation once a year. I just want to let you know that. Uh, it's an amazing thing. And maybe you're like, well, I don't have money to go on vacation. Well, if that's the case, then you should sign up for a group that we offer called Financial Peace University. We're offering it in September. It's, it's a group that's all about how to manage money God's way, how to get out of debt, how to make a budget, how to save so you have money for a vacation. My wife and I went through it uh, years ago. We were able to get out of, de out of debt. We budget. We save. That's how we have money to go on vacation. But we were going to Cancun uh, last year, and our flight got into the connecting airport hours and hours before our next flight was going to leave. And uh, so we just went to the gate that we were going to be at, and we were just sitting there. Now, there was another plane that was taking off from that gate, and the gatekeeper lady, I don't know what she's called, but the lady who keeps the gate um, came on the intercom, and she said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the final boarding for flight blah, blah, blah. We're going to close the gate in one minute. Uh, that is all. Because that's how everybody talks when they go on an intercom. Like, I, th I think they go to school for it. I don't know. But she's on there, and she's like, we're closing the gate, whatever. And there was a guy who went up to the, the desk, and his parents were with him. His parents were older, so this guy was probably in his 30s or 40s, and he had to be from New Jersey because he looked like he was straight from the cast of Jersey Shore, right? And so he goes up to the lady, and he says, hey, you got to keep the gate open because my family, they're not here yet, right? They're on their way because that's how everybody from New Jersey talks. And so, so he's like, you got to keep the gate open. My family, they're on their way. And his parents are like, well, what should we do? And the, the gatekeeper lady's like, sir, I can't, I can't keep the gate open. I got to close it in one minute because federal regulation requires that way. He's like, but, but my family, they're here. They're just on their way. They're down the hall. They're getting something to eat. They're on their way. And, and the guy's parents are like, what should we do? And she's like, sir, I'm closing the gate. They got to get on the plane. Either you get on the plane and you leave them or you stay here. You catch another flight. And the guy's like, no, you can't leave. You can't leave. And then he tells his parents, go, get on the plane. Get on the plane. And they're like, well, what are we going to do? Like, what if, what if they leave? He said, we'll figure it out. So his parents, they go get on the plane, and the guy calls his wife, right? He gets her on the phone, and he's like, where are you? They're closing the gate because federal regulation. And the lady's like, federal regulation requires me. And so he's like, where are you? You got to be here. The plane's taking off. And I don't know what his wife said. Maybe she was like, oh, we're getting a pizza or something. I don't know. But he says, you got to get here. They're closing the gate. And the lady's like, I'm closing it. And her temper starts to escalate, right? She's like, I'm closing the gate, sir, because federal regulation requires that I, he's like, you can't, you can't. And then he goes and he looks down the hallway. It's this long hallway. And he's like, I see them. They're coming. Come on, get over here. Get over here. And she's like, sir, I'm closing the gate because federal, no, but they're right there. You can't leave. Hurry up. Run, run. And she's like, federal regulation, sir. I'm telling. He's like, get over here. And then this guy's wife, and his two kids come strolling up. <laughs> like, like, they're not in a hurry at all. They're not in a rush. 
They're strolling up. She has a slice of pizza in her hand. Her kids have sandwiches. They're hauling their luggage and they got drinks. And they get there. He's like, where were you? Come on, we got to get on the plane. And so anyway, they eventually get on the plane. When they pass through the gate, everybody in the crowd who witnesses this, because this is a spectacle, everyone just erupts in applause, right? Like we're all grateful. Oh man, he didn't get left. So the gatekeeper lady, she closes the gate and she is fuming. She's going off on her coworker. I told him I need to close the gate because federal regulation. And if he ever, like, so she's just going off. She's venting. Everybody's happy. They finally got on. It was hilarious, but also it was heartbreaking to see the sense of urgency and the rush that this guy had. You could feel the tension that he had. You know, sometimes in life, uh, there are instances that cause for us to have a sense of immediacy. Like, there are instances in life where things are urgent. We don't have time to waste. You're at an airport to get on a plane, not to get pizza. You don't have time to stroll. And so sometimes there's urgency and immediacy that needs to happen in our life. Perhaps you feel this way sometimes when it comes to getting your family out of the house, right? Like, you're like, come on, guys, we have to go. No, we have to leave. We've been getting ready to leave for 40 minutes. We have to leave. And then you finally get the whole family out of the house. You get in the car, but now you're late. And so now you're in a rush or in traffic, and it's, and it's reflecting on your attitude. And you're like, get out of my way, people. Move out the way. And you're getting road rage because nobody else feels a sense of urgency or rush that you have. And you're getting mad at people. And, 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 and sometimes, sometimes it's a, a lack of planning that causes for a sense of urgency, right? Like perhaps you know somebody in your life who this is a person, they always send you an email marked as urgent, right? Like it always has the exclamation marks and it's in all caps and it's like, this has to get done now. And you're like, you just didn't plan properly and that's why it has to get done now. So sometimes our lack of planning can cause for a sense of urgency or immediacy in our lives. Sometimes though, uh, when there's an emergency, it calls for urgency. It's like you're bleeding. We have to fix this now. We don't have time to waste. And, and a common phrase that's used to, des- to describe someone who's in a rush, who's, who's in a state of urgency or immediacy, is to ask them, hey, where's the fire? Like, where's the fire? And, and, and what you're doing when you ask that question, you're saying, hey, what's the rush? Well, slow down, calm down, take it easy. And the reason why we say that phrase, where's the fire, is because when there's a fire, well, you don't have time to waste. Like, it's a rush, it's urgent, it's immediate. You know, sometimes in life, uh, there are things that are not that urgent, that are not that immediate, but we treat them as though they were urgent, we treat them as though they were immediate, but then there are uh, times in life where something really is urgent, it really is immediate, but we put it off, we procrastinate. Where's all my procrastinators at? Ah, you'll just raise your hand later, it's all right. No, but but we... (laughs) We procrastinate, we put it off, and we're like, I'll get to it sometime. But it really is immediate, it's urgent, we have to handle it now. And, and oftentimes, immediacy and urgency makes all the difference when it comes down to matters of life and death. Like when my daughter was born and she was having difficulty breathing, I was glad that the uh, nurses acted with a sense of urgency, because if they didn't, I don't know what would have happened. It's in emergencies that urgency can mean the matter between life and death. It can come down to a matter of minutes. It can come down to a matter of seconds. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision about something that really is urgent, something that really is immediate, something that perhaps you've been putting off 
for a while, but I want to let you know that there really is a fire that's burning. This really is a matter between life and death, and we don't have time to waste time. Last week, I preached a message uh, entitled, Believe, Follow, Immerse. And what I said was that Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was God himself. He came to this world to take our sin away. And I don't need to convince you of sin. I don't need to convince you that you have sin in your life. We all have sin in our life, and we know exactly what sin is. Sin is everything that I've ever done in my life that I regret. Everything that I've done to hurt somebody else, everything that I've done to hurt myself, sin is all the times that I've rebelled against God, that I've gone my own way instead of his way. I don't need to convince you today that you're imperfect. We all understand that. We get that we are imperfect. But Jesus came to take our sin on himself, to pay the penalty for our shortcoming. Because our sin, our rebellion against God, separates us from God We can't have a relationship with God when we have this in the middle. And so Jesus came to take away our sin, to bridge the gap between us and God so that we could have life. And then, uh, so so I talked about this truth that Jesus died for us. And then I just asked the question, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? That when he died on the cross, it wasn't just to save the world, but it was also to save you. Do you believe that Jesus wasn't just some, some guy who walked around 2,000 years ago, but that he's your savior here and now, and he's come to give you life? Do you believe it? Is it real for you? Is it personal? And if you believe that, then God calls us to follow him. Just like Brady talked about in his story, he was following his own way, and his life really ended up in this tailspin. It was a wreck. It wasn't leading anywhere good. And so he said, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to make you the leader of my life. So if we believe in Jesus, then we follow Jesus, and we accept the forgiveness of Jesus by being immersed into Jesus. What you saw earlier is people were immersed in the water. What they were doing is they were grabbing that gift of forgiveness and saying, this is mine. It was given to me 2,000 years ago, but now I'm applying it. Now I'm making it personal. This applies to me. And so at the end of that message, I asked people if they wanted to believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, and be immersed into Jesus to stand up. I counted to three, and five people stood up, and it was an amazing experience. And if you missed it, you can listen to the podcast on our website, but if you missed it last week, you can't experience that experience again because it was amazing to see five people stand to their feet and say, Jesus, I want to give you my life. We saw three of them get baptized today. But I want to give you an opportunity today, at the end of this message, to stand just like they did and to be immersed into Jesus. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about baptism and and why it's such an immediate step in our faith journey. And so if you have a Bible, uh, would you open up to Acts chapter 9, verse 9? We're going to read Acts chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 9. Uh, we'll also have the words for you on the screen, but if you want to follow along in a Bible or a Bible app, it's Acts 9, 9. Now, before we read that, I want to give you a bit of context about what's taking place here. Uh, about 2,000 years ago, the movement of the church began, and the church gained great momentum uh, so that people were coming to God all over the place. Like Churches were starting all over the known world. People were becoming Christians left and right, and a lot of the people who were becoming Christians were people who were Jews. And so this presented a problem for Judaism because Jewish people were now becoming Christians. And so the religious system of Judaism was being pushed aside. As this took place, 
uh, the Jewish ruling councils of the day, because they were losing power, launched a persecution on the church where they would go and arrest people who became Christians and they would kill them because of their faith. Well, one of the guys who devoted his life to persecuting Christians and killing them was a guy named Saul. Now, Saul later becomes a Christian himself, uh, and his name is changed to Paul. Paul writes most of the letters in the New Testament. He starts churches all over the known world at that time. But before Saul becomes a Christian, he's killing Christians. And there's an instance in his life where he's on his way to the city of Damascus. He's going there to arrest some Christians and kill them. But while he's on the road to Damascus, uh, he's blinded by this light. The resurrected Jesus appears to Saul, and he says to Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus. And Saul's like, what's up? And Saul is struck blind, and Jesus tells him, go into the city, and I'll tell you what you need to do. And so this is where Acts chapter 9, verse 9 takes place. Saul goes into the city of Damascus, and it says this. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, Saul is blind. He's in this condition for three days. He hasn't eaten or drank anything, and he's trying to make sense out of all of this. While he's trying to figure all of this out, verse 10 takes place. It says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, as opposed to Crooked Street, and ask for a man... That wasn't that funny? All right, I won't say that in the next worship experience. Uh, we only got one worship experience right now. Anyway, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And so God tells Ananias, go to this guy named Saul and lay your hands on him, and he's going to receive his sight. But here's, here's what Ananias says. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Translation, uh, hey God, I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, but this guy Saul has come to arrest and kill people who call on your name, uh, and I'm somebody who calls on your name, <laughs> and you're about to send me to him. Can we come up with a different plan? Because he might kill me. I mean, I just want to let you know that. Or it, it, it might be that Ananias, as he responds to God, what he's saying is, hey, do you understand who Saul is, God? Like, do you know just how bad he is? Do you know what he's done in his life? Are you sure you want to call him? Are you sure you want to open up? life to him. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, go. He doesn't debate with him. He doesn't argue with him. He says, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Real quick, I just want to let you know that sometimes when God calls us, it's not so that he can make our lives easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Y'all say that phrase? I, I don't either, I don't either. Um, but, but he doesn't always call us so that he can make our lives easy. Sometimes when God calls us, our lives get more difficult. Last, last week we had Charlie up here on stage and she talked about how she started following God. She started coming to church on Easter for the first time 
as she's been looking into Christianity, as she's explored Christianity, she talked about how she's lost some friends along the way. Losing friends can be a difficult thing, but she says, even though I'm losing friends, even though I'm going through this difficult time, I'm still pursuing and following God. Sometimes when God calls us, it's not so he can make our life pie, but it's because he wants to take us through something. And when we go through difficulties, he wants to let us know that we're not in this alone. Sometimes if you say yes to God, your life will get more difficult. Because God wants to take you through the fire of refinement so that when you emerge on the other side, you come out better than you went in. Are you with me? Yeah. So he says, call Saul. Better call Saul. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, translation, when Ananias goes to Saul, he says, Brother Saul, uh, the Lord Jesus, you know, the one who appeared to you on the road, you know, the one who struck you blind, you know, the one, he has my back. And so if you try and kill me, if you try and do something crazy to me, Jesus is going to, right? So he says, I just want to remind you about the one who sent me to you, okay? And also, I'm here to do something good for you. I came to give you sight, so please don't kill me. Verse 18, immediately, 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 something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. Watch this. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, Saul has been blind for three days. He hasn't eaten anything. He hasn't drank anything. Ananias comes to him, places his hands on him, and he says, it says scales fell from his eyes, and he could see. See, Saul was blind, but now he sees. That's amazing grace. Saul was blind, but now he sees. Now that he sees, now that he has this epiphany because he believes in Jesus now and he wants to follow him, look at what it says. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Here's what I find fascinating. That Saul didn't eat for three days. If I skip lunch, I'm hungry. But he hasn't eaten for three days. And when Ananias places his hands on him and he can see again, uh, Ananias doesn't say, now get up and have a Chipotle burrito. But he says, but he says get up, and, and, and you're about to see in the instance we're about to read. Saul gets up, and he doesn't get something to eat. But before he gets something to eat, he's immersed into Jesus. After he's immersed into Jesus, he gets something to eat and regains his strength. It's like for Saul, because he now sees, because he has this epiphany, because he believes in Jesus and he wants to follow Jesus, everything else can wait. But this is the most important thing right now. He approaches this with a sense of immediacy and urgency. Before even getting something to eat, he stands up and is baptized into Jesus. Saul goes on to recount this time in his life uh, a bit later, and he's talking to a crowd of people about what happened. It's found in Acts chapter 22, uh, starting in verse 12. I have the words for you on the screen. But he's, he's telling this crowd about what took place. He said, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. He has this epiphany, this breakthrough. It's all of a sudden he receives Sight. I believe that for some of you today, God is putting this on your heart. You're believing right this moment that Jesus is real, that Jesus died for you, that he rose again from the dead. He said, at that moment, I was able to see him. Verse 14. Then he said, 
The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. Verse 15, you will be his witness to all people about what you have seen and heard. And look at this, and now, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When Paul uh, recounts this time in his life, he says, at that moment I saw, I received my sight. It happened. Right now I think at this moment some of you, again, you're believing. Yeah, you know, I believe in Jesus. I want to give him my life. I want to follow him because life with God is better than life without him. I want to give him my life. He said, at that moment I saw. And then Ananias said, and now what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Get up be baptized. Stand and be baptized. And, and, and notice that Paul's response wasn't one where he said, well, let me get something to eat first. He doesn't do that. Paul doesn't say, well, let me pray about this first and see if this is really what God wants me to do. Paul doesn't say, you know, I don't think I'm ready in my life right now. I mean, I was just killing people, so let me work on that first. Let me get that straight in my life, and once I handle that, then I'll get baptized. No, he doesn't do any of that. Instead, he stands up, and he's baptized right then and there. He doesn't put it off. He doesn't wait, but for him, he approaches it with a sense of immediacy and urgency. Ananias said, what are you waiting for? Stand. I want to give you an opportunity in a few minutes to respond just like Paul did. That if you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, and you want to follow him, you want to give him your life, I want to ask you, what are you waiting for? Nothing stands in your way of accepting Jesus. Nothing stands in your way. This isn't something you should put off. This isn't something you need to pray about because God has called us to be immersed into him for the forgiveness of our sins. You don't have to get your act straight because if you could get your act straight, then you wouldn't need Jesus. You, you can't get your life together without Jesus. I know there's some things in your life that probably aren't the greatest. Hey, me too. Welcome to the club. All of us, the same is true. So you don't need to wait until your life is easy peasy, lemon squeezy. You don't need to wait until you're perfect because if you could be perfect on your own, then you wouldn't need Jesus. You don't need to wait. And so what are you waiting for? Now, I realize that, that many of you would say, well, I don't have a change of clothes. The thing I'm waiting on is I need clothes to get baptized in. And, and, and I realize that you didn't come planning or preparing to get baptized, but we've been planning and preparing for you. If you decide to get baptized today, if you make that decision, if you stand to your feet when I give you the opportunity to do that, um, then we have a change of clothes for you. Do we have a slide with all the clothes that we offer right here? Here's, here's what we'll give you to wear. Uh, we'll give you a shirt to wear and keep. Uh, we'll give you undergarments to wear and keep. We don't want those back. Shorts that you can use, a towel to use. We even have hair dryers to use. We've tried to think of everything so that nothing would stand in your way so that just like Ananias said to Saul, I'm able to say to you, what are you waiting for? If it's a change of clothes, we got it. You don't need to wait for that. We've taken care of that. Maybe you would say, well, the thing I'm waiting on is I want my friends and family to be here, and that's a good thing. We want them to celebrate with you, but you don't need to wait for that because we have a professional photographer who will take your picture as you get baptized, and we have someone who will film it and will give those to you so you can share it with your friends and family, and they can celebrate with you. What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? 
there's nothing holding you back. Maybe, maybe you say, well, what about my kids? I mean, uh, who's going to watch my kids? They can stay in our kids' ministry like that one kid you just heard who was having an amazing time. Uh, they can stay in our kids' ministry and we'll watch them for you while you get baptized. Or if they're old enough and you want to go get them and bring them down so they can celebrate with you, you can do that too. You have time to do that. And so what are you waiting for? There's nothing that stands in your way. We've tried to think of everything so that at this moment today, we can ask you, would you respond to the message of Jesus? If you believe that he rose from the dead, if you want to follow him and give him your life, what are you waiting for? Today's the day to stand and be immersed. The hot tub here is here. I'm told it has warm water in it. And so nothing stands in your way. I want to give you an opportunity in a moment as our band comes up uh, to play, to stand and make the decision to say yes to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus in your life. You've never said yes to him. You've never been baptized into him. But you believe that he died for you on the cross, that he rose again from the dead. This is your opportunity. Now is the time. What are you waiting for? Perhaps you've believed in Jesus for years. You would say, you know, I've, I've believed in God. I've gone to church for years and years and years, um, but I've never been immersed into him. Today is your day to be immersed. Today is your day to go all in and be baptized into him, to accept the gift of forgiveness and have it applied to you. Some of you right now, Jesus has forgiven you 2,000 years ago. You have the gift of forgiveness waiting for you. You just need to reach out and grab hold of it and apply it to yourself. The way we do that is by being immersed into Jesus. For some of you, you were baptized as a baby and your parents had really great intentions for you. They wanted you to know God and so they had you baptized. But today is the day to say, Mom, Dad, thank you for your great intentions and I'm gonna now fulfill what you wanted in my life because now I'm making the decision to be baptized myself. So thank you for your well wishes previously, but this is my decision now and I'm, I'm gonna fulfill what you wanted from me. And today is your day to make the decision to be immersed in Jesus. Perhaps for some of you, you got baptized when you were younger. I hear this story all the time. Somebody says, hey, I got baptized when I was younger, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I just did it because everybody else was doing it. I just did it because my mom and dad said they would give me ice cream afterwards, and so I did it. And, and, and so you got baptized, but you did it for the wrong reasons, or you didn't really know what you were getting into. But now you understand. Now you know. Now the scales have fallen from your eyes. Today is the day to stand, to respond. What are you waiting for? Today is the day to say, Jesus, I believe in you. I want to follow you. And I want to be immersed into you. This isn't something you have to pray about. It's very clear in scriptures that that's what we do when we follow Jesus. We believe, we follow, we're immersed into him. So you don't need to pray about it. You don't need to phone a friend. This isn't something where you have to get some stuff straight in your life. Because God wants to meet you where you are and bring you to where he's called you to be. So I want to give you an opportunity right now, right this moment to respond. If that's you today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, if you believe that he died for you and he rose again from the dead, if you want to follow him, you want to give him your life, you want to be immersed today, what are you waiting for? Nothing stands in your way. I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, I just want to ask you to stand up right where you are. It's a bold, do it's a bold move. It's a bold decision. Right now you're like, oh man, I didn't know he was going to ask me to do that. I'm asking you to stand where you are because in a few minutes you're going to be down here and we're going to baptize you for the forgiveness of your sins. This isn't an embarrassing moment. 
This is a moment that we want to celebrate with you. That's why we exist as a church, so that you can come to know God, so that you can have a relationship with God. Right now, the adrenaline may be racing in your body, and you're like, I don't really know. I don't want everybody looking at me. We want to celebrate with you. You're going through all the excuses in your mind. Why not today? Why maybe later? Why maybe another time? I'll just put it off. This is your moment right here, right now. Like Ananias said to Saul, what are you waiting for? I want to ask you, what are you waiting for? This is your chance right here. When I count to three, I don't know if anybody's going to stand up. Maybe a lot of people will stand up. We'll see. But when I count to three, I want you to stand where you are. When you do that, some members from our VIP team will come down. They'll greet you and they'll take you back and get you ready to get baptized because we're doing this today. Right now is your moment. What are you waiting for? Here we go. One, two, three. Would you stand up right now where you are? Yeah. Give it up. See, one, two, three. Hey, give it up. Give it up for these three people who stood. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray you are inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more information on The Rising, visit wearetherising.com.